Hi, everyone. You know that feeling that you have at Thanksgiving, right? We've been through it this week where everything's prepared. You're ready to sit down. You know what's coming. It's going to be good. That's God's word. When we come to God's word, there is a feast for us. When we have eyes to see and ears to hear what God has to say to us. So let's pray before we begin that that would be the case for every one of us today. Lord Jesus, you are the only one, your Holy Spirit, who can reveal truth to our souls. We desperately need to feast upon your word today. Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Let us be sensitive to you and receive what you have today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are starting the book of Zechariah. How about that? And you, did you know that Zechariah was a contemporary of Haggai? Remember, we had two sessions on the book of Haggai, it's just two chapters. And these guys were probably friends. They were prophesying at exactly the same time. And uh, you remember when we looked at the book of Haggai, uh, I emphasized two principles of the prophetic word that is really evident in the Old Testament. Do you remember that? This is courtesy of Walter Brueggemann, these two words, criticizing and energizing. The criticizing comes when there's a correction that's needed, and it seems that the prophets were always sent in to come against something when there was a correction that was needed. That's the criticizing part. In the case of the book of Haggai, the people were comfortably in their homes and the temple was in ruins. And so the criticism came, hey, it's time to wake up and get busy rebuilding this temple. And when the people responded, they responded well. Do you remember? They obeyed. And then in chapter 2 of Haggai came the energizing, where God says, don't fear. I'm with you. My presence is with you. Don't be afraid of these nations, because I'm the one who's going to shake the nations. Remember that? So these two forces of criticizing and energizing are together. They're like in attention with each other throughout the prophetic books, and we'll see this also in Zechariah. So, you change it. The timeline, where are we? Well, 539 BC, if you remember, was the decree of Cyrus where the Jews who were in Babylon got to return to Judah, to Jerusalem. And then the temple building started in 538. But they ran into severe opposition, and it stopped. So Haggai comes along in the sixth month of 520 B.C. and starts prophesying. And then Haggai, I'm sorry, Zechariah comes along in month eight. So two months after Haggai started prophesying, Zechariah comes along. And the prophecies of Zechariah are totally different from Haggai. First of all, there's 14 chapters. These prophecies are visual. There's eight or nine incredible visions that almost are like a, out of a science fiction novel or something. 
They're, they're unbelievable. And then there are oracles that he gives where God is being shown as king over all the nations. It's a very powerful book, and it's interesting. There's such a sweeping revelation that comes from Zechariah compared to Haggai. And, you know, I love Matthew Henry. He has some really good comments. And he said, well, the people responded to Haggai with obedience to Haggai's revelation, and God gave them more revelation. And isn't that the way it is, that when we respond to something that God gives us, maybe it's small, maybe it's something that God has for us to do, and we respond to that, he gives us more revelation. Zechariah has so many prophecies about the Messiah. We're starting Advent. Only Isaiah has more prophecies than Zechariah about the, about the Messiah coming. So anyway, the, we're going to be looking at the first six, six verses of the first chapter. And this is sort of like a prologue. So let's read this, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So these first three verses, look at what's happening here. God is telling Zechariah, I was angry with the forefathers of this generation. And he begins to urge them. The, the, he was angry with their forefathers. He begins to urge the generation that, Zach, that Zechariah is preaching to, to return. Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you. And then he goes on, do not be like your fathers to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts has purposed to do to us according with all our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. So these exiles are being told, don't be like your forefathers. Why? Because of their evil ways. Because of their evil deeds. God told the forefathers to return to him, primarily through Jeremiah. He told them, and they refused. Finally, you see at the end, after Jerusalem is destroyed, they're in Babylon, time is passing along, and they finally realize, and they repented, and said, as the Lord has purposed to do to us according to our ways, so he's dealt with us. So in this first six verses, there's a very important Hebrew word that I want to share with you. I've highlighted it in red. It's all the same word. Verse 3, return to me that I may return to you. Verse 4, return now from your evil ways. Verse 6, they repented. Same word, return. Turns out 
This word, this concept is incredibly important throughout the prophetic books, not just Zechariah, but you find it everywhere. It's the Hebrew word shove, shuv. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it, but that's what it is. And it simply means turn or return. So there's a very concrete meaning, okay? If you're, you see this in the Old Testament, someone's going to a city, they turn around and go back the other way. They use this word for turning or returning. But the prophets use this word with a deeper meaning, with a, a greater connotation which means a person holistically returns to the Lord. In other words, in the English, we would say they repent. You know, I love this Hebrew concept of repentance because it involves a change of direction. It involves a change of your orientation of the whole person. You know, in the Greek language, the word for repentance just means to change your mind. And I think that's sort of the connotation in English as well. In the Hebrew, which is the roots of the scripture, this word means to turn around and to go and return and go the other way. We just sang uh, the Scott Baker song. I love that song uh, this morning. Come let us, what? Return. Same word. Hosea used it. Amos used it. The most extensive user of this word by far was, guess who? Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesied to the forefathers of this generation. He prophesied during the time in 586 B.C. when Jerusalem fell and everything fell apart. And he was warning them beforehand, return, return. Jeremiah chapter 8, <clears throat> verses 4 and 5. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, do men fall and not get up again? Does one turn and not repent or turn? Why then has this people, Jerusalem, turned in continual apostasy? apostasy? They hold fast to deceit or to lies. They refuse to turn, to return. So four times the same word is used here. Um, <clears throat> what's Jeremiah saying? Does one turn and not turn? You see that there? Can you go north and south at the same time? Actually, in Lynchburg, it's possible to do that. <laughs> There is a little stretch of road when you get on the Candler's Mountain exit heading on 501 North. You are on 501 North and 29 South at the same time. And if you look at the map, you're actually going west. So if you ever feel confused driving around Lynchburg, you know why. But no, Jeremiah is saying you can't turn and not turn. You can't go north and south at the same time. Remember how God spoke through Zechariah, what we just read, that he said he was angry with the forefathers. He was angry with them. You can see that here. They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. 
So what were these forefathers doing at the time of the judgment, at the time of Babylon coming in and overtaking Jerusalem in 586 B.C.? What was going on? Well, here's just one verse. on. There's tons of stuff in Jeremiah on this, but here's just one. God says this through Jeremiah. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, and swear falsely, offer sacrifices to Baal? By the way, the sacrificial practices sometimes involved murder. Offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered that you may do these abominations? Has this house, in other words, the temple, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Does that sound familiar? Jesus said that. Behold, I, even I, have seen it. The people were doing evil things. The culture had this endemic evil in it. And this happens to cultures sometimes. And they were trying to use the temple like a lucky charm. Oh, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We are protected because this great God, we've got this temple. And God says, I see it. I see what you're doing. It's not going to work. So God was telling the exiles after all of this time in Babylon, they come back and God says through Zechariah, return to me. Turn from this evil behavior of your forefathers. So what kind of path did God want for them? Well, he tells them in, in Zechariah chapter 8, it's very clear. These are the things which you should do. Speak truth to one another. Wow. How about that in a culture? Speak truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates, and let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. That word for devise is used in, in Leviticus and that part of the Old Testament for, for people who weave stuff, you know, weaving fabric and whatnot. Don't weave stuff in your imagination that isn't factual against others, devising evil, thinking evil thoughts about other people. And do not love perjury, lying under oath, for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. What God wants is a change of orientation to the path of life, not to use faith as a lucky charm. He wants a turning from broken ways. He isn't neutral about evil. So, I think there's a lot of applications of this concept for us, for our faith. Now, this concept of holistically turning toward the Lord, moving in that direction with all of us, not just agreeing with something in our mind, is of great value. You know, sometimes we overlook the value of these prophetic books. If Israel wasn't important, 
Jesus would have just been born anywhere, right? Why would there have been this history of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all of this stuff? Because God was revealing things that are like the foundation stones of the gospel. If we detach the gospel from these concepts, we have a weakness in our thinking of the gospel. In Matthew, the starting point of the gospel, someone named John the Baptist comes along. What was his message? Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John came as a prophet after 400 years of prophetic silence. And what's the first thing that he says? The same thing Zechariah was saying, the same thing Jeremiah was saying, the same thing Hosea was saying. He was saying those things in line with the Hebrew tradition. John said that his baptism was a baptism of what? Repentance. What was John's exhortation to the people? He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. A holistic turning. Not just a changing of your mind, but a turning of everything that you are. So then Jesus was baptized by John, you remember, and shortly after that, Jesus started preaching. What was his first message? Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Both John and Jesus are setting the foundation for the gospel rooted in the prophetic concepts that, that were already there and built upon this pro prophetic principle of turning, turning to the Lord, returning to him. Jesus gave the parable of the prodigal son. Remember that one? This son treats his father horribly, takes his father's, takes his inheritance, his father's money, goes and squanders it with riotous living, runs out of money, is in the pigsty feeding pigs, and suddenly he has a moment of insight. Well, that's the first thing that happens, right? Our mind becomes aware that we need to change, that something needs to turn within us. But the parable of the prodigal son is primarily about his journey home, isn't it? That he actually got up from the pigsty and walked and walked and returned to the father. This Hebrew concept of holistically turning, changing the orientation and direction of my life towards God is central to the gospel. You know, um, during the Great Awakening in the 1740s, there was a man named Jonathan Edwards who was very influential. God used him in some amazing ways during the Great Awakening. And he wrote a book called The Religious Affections. 
And the reason he wrote this book is he was disappointed in the Great Awakening. And as a young man reading this book, I'm like, how can you be disappointed in the Great Awakening? I mean, everybody wants that. That's what I wanted. We want to see a movement of God. What's going on? How can you be disappointed? Well, he had a practice. Whenever anyone came to faith or showed an indication of coming to faith, he celebrated that, but he always went back the next year and checked on that person. And he went back the next year and checked on that person. How are they doing? What is the change of orientation? Is there one? And the reason he was disappointed is that he, they saw all these supernatural things happening, great things happening in the Great Awakening. But when he went back to check, some people had returned to their lives. There wasn't a change of orientation. There wasn't a change of direction. When we think about the gospel and what it means to come in faith, to faith in Jesus, turning from our own, as Donnie Love says, broken life strategies, not just our brokenness, but we have strategies for dealing with our brokenness, and we have to turn from both our brokenness and our broken strategies and turning to Jesus in this Turning and belief are almost like two sides of the same coin. They have to go together. So I'm wondering, in our group today, have each of us come to the kind of faith that we're talking about here? where Jesus has come in and not only forgiven my sins and cleansed me, but I have experienced a change in direction in my life. I was on a selfish agenda, and now I'm following Jesus. That's what discipleship is. A single experience of becoming a believer is very, very important. But what shows and demonstrates that that single experience has validity and strength to it is the fact that from then on, I am walking in a different direction. I am walking. I'm following Jesus. Okay, so what happens when we get off the path? Okay, well, that's very, very interesting. Do you think that believers need to repent? Some people say no. Well, on pretty good authority, I think we do. Uh, this is from, if you read Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus speaking to the seven churches in Asia. Okay, there's seven churches. Do you know that five times, five of the churches, Jesus is telling them to repent? This concept is not just something that was baked into the prophetic word. It's all the way through to the end. Look at this from Revelation 2, 4 through 5. He's speaking to the church of Ephesus. He says, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen and repent and do the deed you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless 
you repent. He's talking to believers. Yes, when we come to faith in Jesus and turn to him, we are forgiven. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. But do you know that it's a process? It's a process. I remember in my 20s, I used to pray to God and say, Lord, why don't you just zap me? The Holy Spirit is in me. Why do I still have all these problems? Why do I still have all these desires that mess me up? Why can't you just zap me? That's not the way it works. It's a process that we walk with God, that he changes us. And you know what? I think that this process is a continual series of turnings. Think about it. How many times as a believer have you found that, I had, that, that you had to turn from a selfish agenda back to the Lord? It happens. When we're following Jesus, it happens. And so what that means is that this turning and returning is a lifelong process. It starts at salvation. You have to start by turning and returning and coming to faith in Jesus, but it continues And so it is a walk, it is a way, it is a path that we need to follow. And I think that this key element of maturing, of growing, you know, we want to become more like Jesus. You know how that happens? Turning and returning. When we get off track, I think that one of the most powerful evidences that I am a genuine believer is this. Yeah, I get off track. Yeah, I mess up. I am far from perfect. But I am bound and determined in the depths of my soul that I'm going to turn and return when I realize what's going on. I want to be following Jesus. That's discipleship. So on this first Sunday of Advent, as we look forward to celebrating the coming of Jesus, what better time for us to open this up to God and say, God, is there something that I need to turn and return from? Am I clinging to a broken life strategy somewhere that's messing me up? Maybe you've never come to faith in Jesus like that before. Maybe this is just something that's in your mind. You agree with it. You think it's great, but you have never really turned. You're not depending on Jesus. You're not looking to him. You're not walking towards him. You're going your own way, but you say, oh yeah, I had an experience. I raised my hand at a meeting. Well, it's great. That's a great first step. But the proof in the pudding is the following, going after him, pursuing him with all your heart and your mind. And when you fall on your face, you get up and you turn and you say, God, I'm so sorry. And you turn back to Jesus and walk his direction. So what I want to do is just have a moment of prayer at the close of this time. Because maybe God has spoken to you about something. Maybe there's something going on, and this is an opportunity for you 
to turn, not just change your mind, but holistically turn yourself and reorient yourself towards Jesus in some area of your life. Or maybe you've never done that. Maybe you need to make that commitment to Jesus. And I'll say this. If God has spoken to you about something and there's something that you need to do, then do it now. Don't wait on it. And then also, talk to somebody about it. If you talk to somebody about it and say, hey, I did this today. In my walk with Jesus, I did this. It's, it, that is an actual step of doing something. To just think it in your mind isn't the same way. You have to speak about it. You have to tell somebody. It doesn't have to be me. It can be anybody. Just tell somebody what God's doing in your life. It cements it for us in our lives. So let me pray for us and with us. You could pray along with me if this is something that God has spoken to you about. Lord Jesus, we bow before you now. We are your people. Just like you spoke to the churches in Asia, you care about this church. You want every person in this room, all of us, Lord, to be turned towards you, to be oriented towards you, to be moving in the direction of Jesus, not just agreeing that this is true, but living in that direction walking on that path. And Lord, I pray that if there's something that you've said to someone here, that they would act upon it now. And if that's you, all you have to do is to say, Lord, with all my heart, I turn towards you. I turn away from my broken strategies. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from the things that I'm doing in my life that I'm clinging to. I let them go, and I turn in your direction, and I believe in you, and I trust you, and I move towards you, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want to be your person. I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you. And so if that's you and you've prayed that today, then God bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Amen.